Thank you, worship team. I want to give a special thank you, um, worship team-wise, to Evan, our drummer. Evan got called in at the last minute. He is one of our regular drummers, but he was not scheduled this week. But uh, because of a certain incident that happened yesterday, our person who was supposed to be drummer, Alec, I'm sorry, Ben, and his wife, Alex, had baby Clara yesterday at about 11.30. And I also wanted to just say thank you to everybody who helped serve yesterday at our community Easter egg hunt. We, uh, we served roughly 320 people, sometimes hard to get an exact count, but we had about 320 people, so that was pretty exciting. It was, you know, it's a lot of work, and I don't do any of it. I just walk around with a megaphone and say hello to people. But for those who put in the hours, I do appreciate you. For those who donated eggs and donated candy and spent time stuffing eggs and everything else, know that it doesn't go unnoticed. We were able to connect with 300 plus people and just say, hey, we're glad you exist and we're glad that you're in our community. And there's, you know, there's no strings attached. It's a free event. Come on out, eat a breakfast, get some stuff for your kids and know that we believe that Jesus is real. So thank you to everybody who gave of their time, their energy and their money to make yesterday happen. It, it does matter. So happy Easter. Let's get on to the topic of the morning. Um, According to the liturgical guide of the Anglican Church, which is the High Church of England, and you may or may not know this, but on this day, this glorious day, you're allowed to say Alleluia twice after saying He is risen. So I'm going to say He is risen. You're going to respond, He is risen indeed. And then you're going to bust out with two Alleluias on the one Sunday a year you get to. We might as well take advantage. He is risen! There you go. There we go. Now we are considered the High Church of England. This is us. So I'll start wearing robes next week. I read a statistic a few years back that 91% of people in America know the Easter story. They know what Easter is about. That means about 9% don't know what Easter is about, which what's interesting is, I often cite this statistic, 94% of people pray, but only about 90% of people live in God, believe in God. So you even have 4% of people out there who are like, I don't believe in God, but in case there's something out there, I'm throwing out a prayer. That's who we are, just in case, even though I don't believe it, people will still pray. But 91% of people in America know the Easter story. They may not know the details, they may not believe the Easter story, but they know that it's something to do with Christianity and Jesus and the crucifixion and coming back. And so sometimes people say, well, why do you have an Easter bunny at your event? Why do you? Because I need to come up with a way to help us as a church who get very isolated and insulated connect with people who don't understand, but they've got this image. And how do I say, hey, you're loved and valued? I bridge this gap. And some people get frustrated. Some people say it's watering down the gospel. Some people say, oh, isn't that pagan? Listen, I'm not changing my message at all of there is hope in Jesus, but I'm saying we've got to learn to communicate and connect with people who don't understand us, who don't think like us, who don't speak like us, if we ever want to have a hope of showing them what we really believe. Because I can stand up here every week and preach this, but if they're out there in the world and they don't hear it, It's meaningless. It really is. The message brings hope and life when they have some way to help connect. They connect when they feel loved, when they feel valued, when they feel like there's hope for my life. 
Because most of us, whether we want to admit it or not, recognize we're sinful. Most of us will recognize we're not perfect. Most of us will recognize I need help and I need hope. But until I have something that shows me that path, until I have a map, a a guideline, something that will bring me back, then it's just words. And for too many of us, the words, we've heard them, we know the Easter story, but it doesn't change how I live. About six years ago, I was sitting, I, I, I like to write my messages in huge blocks for months at a time, and I was sitting um, in this little cabin in Wisconsin, and I was talking with my friend Nate, and I looked at Nate and I said, and it was November, and I said, Nate, how do I make the Easter story unique and come to life? And he looks at me, and with all sincerity, and I love his honesty, he says, why do you need to change it? It's a great story. Just tell it. All right. From the mouths of babes. (laughs) I tease Nate all the time about how young he is because he's one of my best friends, but he's like 15 years younger than me, but he's constantly teaching me. I learn so much from his wisdom. And his wisdom is just basic common sense that I don't seem to have. (laughs) People know the story. They've heard the story. I don't need to glamorize it. I need to help people understand why it matters to me. So today's Easter message is about why the resurrection matters. Why does it matter? You know the story. Most of you that are in this room, it's not a shock to you that this is what the church believes. You may not believe it. You may not hold to everything I hold to. You may not believe everything I say, and that's okay. But most of you know this story. So here's why The Easter story matters to me. And if this will get you to think or to examine or to understand in a different way, that's what my goal is today. I'm not here to tell you something you don't know. I'm here to tell you this is why it matters to me. Number one, Jesus' death was the final sacrifice needed. From the very beginning, humanity understood that we need to sacrifice to gods. And then as they began to understand There there was one true God. We need to sacrifice to that God. Even in the New Testament, there's a place in which they have an altar to an unknown God. And Paul walks into the city and he says, what is this altar? And they say, that's our altar to the unknown God. Because they had altars to all these other gods. He goes, let me tell you something. I know this God. This is the God that's above all gods. It's interesting you have an altar to him. Let me tell you about him. And he lays out the gospel for them and says, Jesus was his son. And so he lays out this gospel because... A sacrifice is needed. You're not good enough to reconnect with God. You're not worthy enough. You can't do enough. You can't give enough. It doesn't matter how much you try. You can't. However, God looks at you and says, I still want to have a relationship with you. And here's how we have that relationship. Hebrews 9.22 tells us this. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Remission is just a fancy word for this. Release from the bondage or imprisonment. In other words, without this shedding of blood, you cannot be released from whatever holds you back. However, remission also means all past debts. It's used in the sense of a debtor's prison. Somebody's come along, you're in prison because you were in debt, and somebody else paid for it. Whether you know who it was or not, they came, they paid, and you're released. 
That's how the debtor's prison worked in their day. And he's looking and he said, you're in prison, you're in bondage, but somebody came and you didn't know him, you didn't deserve it. It wasn't your mom or your brother, it was somebody you don't even know. And they look and they go, you're stuck. And whether you want to admit it or not, you're stuck in the same patterns, the same habits, the same addiction, the same stuff you do over and over and over. Then you go, I wish I didn't live my life that way, but you do it anyway. And you say, this Friday night, I'm not going to. This day after work, I'm not going to. This time, I'm not going to. But we do it. And he's looking and he's saying, you're free from that because there was a blood sacrifice that was made for you. You're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. But you have hope. Number two reason the why matters. You cannot rely on your own strength. A while back, I went to an escape room. Anybody in here ever been in an escape room? few of us, you go, you try to solve a bunch of puzzles and get out, and most of the time I just walk around going, what are we doing? What, what is going on in here? <laughs> and they're like, Jeff, do something. So I'll sit at a table and like tap a pencil, and then they'll tell me, stop that, that's annoying. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we want you on our escape room team. No, you don't, because I just keep going, this shouldn't be this hard, you guys. I can't tell you how many times I say that. This particular escape room up in Seattle, I'm with a bunch of friends, and we get there, and we solve a clue, and in order to solve this one aspect of the puzzle, there are nine buttons that have to be pushed at once. And no matter how many times you try, you cannot do it alone. And you have to do it with someone, and I know this is a silly analogy, but it's the way it works sometimes. In life, we think we do things on our own. But we cannot do it on our own. We need a strength that we don't possess. Luke 23, 46 says this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus did not rely on his own strength, even at his crucifixion. He relies on the Father. And there are people that don't like that because they won't say, no, Jesus was enough. He literally says, into your hands I commit my spirit. To you, I'm giving over myself. It's difficult because we as Americans have this idea that we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I got where I am today with nobody's help. No, that's not true. Thousands of people helped you along the way. If you made it through college, who taught you to read? If you didn't go to college, who taught you to read? <laughs> if you got a job, somebody hired you. Most of you didn't wake up one day when you were like 11 years old and go out and start your company. I now own the largest plumbing fixtures company in North America. And you probably didn't do it by yourself at age 11. Somebody taught you the business. Somebody somewhere helped you through. And whether you want to acknowledge that or not, it's the reality. Nobody gets where they are alone. And too oftentimes, we believe we can create in ourselves a perfection. I'll get better. If I read these books, I'll get better. The books are good, but somebody still has to help us along. We cannot do it on our own strength. And when we try, we end up frustrated. We end up feeling like we failed. We end up feeling like, I can't be enough. I can't be enough of a good husband. I can't be enough of a good dad. I can't be enough of a good boss. I can't be enough of a good employee. I can't give enough of who I am. There's only so much time in the day, and I'm exhausted from trying. And he's looking, and he's saying, why are you trying? Why don't you rely on me, rest in who you are in me, and walk in that freedom? Third reason, Jesus' death and resurrection allows us access to God. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We want to make all paths lead to heaven. And I have said many times, I don't know all of who God is, and I don't know all of God's nature, and I don't understand all of everything. 
And I've often said, I don't believe that, you know, we are not bound by time the way some people believe because we serve an infinite God that began, has no beginning and no end, and our lives are but a blip on the screen, and we are created eternal, and that's difficult for people. That's a tough concept. I mean, if you don't think it is, talk to a, you know, a third grader and ask them, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they may want to be a zookeeper or they may want to be Wonder Woman. Both are a reality. Both are a possibility of what they want to do because they don't understand time. They don't understand that reality. And we think we do and we think we have things figured out and then suddenly something God does or something that happens in our life changes everything about us. Somebody gets sick with cancer and now that changes my whole way I think and the whole dichotomy of how I live because wait, no, this isn't supposed to happen because I'm a good person that does the right thing. My mom had lung cancer. She never smoked. And the doctor told her, this is a near impossibility. And she goes, what do, you, what do you want me to do? I wasn't a smoker and I didn't live with a smoker. He's like, this just doesn't happen. The odds and the percentages are against you. Yep. But they still had to take out a third of her lung and she still had to go through a process to heal. Jesus is the way the truth and the life. And I can't explain all of the whys, but what I know is against all odds, things happen. And we serve a God who's created a way for us to get back to him. The fourth reason that this matters to me, the fourth why is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets said. It was not enough for them to say it, but it had to be completed. The past few weeks I've talked about this. Jesus fulfills over 30 prophecies through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, written hundreds or even thousands of years earlier by multiple different authors. People sat down and said, I believe this is what God told me. And they wrote a book, they wrote a letter, they wrote a a story. And in that, through Jesus coming to earth, but through his resurrection and his death and his burial, or his death, his burial, and his resurrection, those prophecies were fulfilled. And people may say, well, I don't believe it because of this, or I don't believe it. Well, that's between you and God. I've never said you can't doubt. I'm telling you right now, you are welcome to doubt. You are welcome to question. Don't trust the person who says, you should never have a doubt. Because that's not humanity. I doubt sometimes my car is going to start in the morning. It's awfully cold. Come on, start, start, start. And it starts. And then I go, they told me six months ago I needed a new battery. They were wrong. I've been six months now. Every day it starts, I'm like, one more day. I'm keeping that money in my pocket. But the truth is, the reality of Jesus was foretold of what he was going to do. The gospel writers recognized that this prophecy is being fulfilled because they knew the scriptures, so when it happens, they recognize it. The one that's even more interesting to me is that Paul recognizes it. Paul's a New Testament uh, author, But before he becomes this, he's going around, he works for the government, for the Jewish authorities, killing people who talk about Christianity. That's his job. He goes, he finds them, he has them executed. Because it goes against what they want. And then suddenly Paul has this this moment. He states in 1 Corinthians 15, the entire section of scripture there is about the reality of Christ. Now this isn't written hundreds of years later. This is written 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion. He talks about how over 500 people, other than the disciples, saw Jesus post-resurrection. People that are still living and walking around today when Paul writes it, they can tell you, I saw him after that. And yet if you choose not to believe, it's still your choice. Because faith requires something of me. 
And see, the problem is, people say, oh, I just don't have faith to believe that. But we put faith in things all the time. Planes fly over my house every day. I'm right in the flight path. I never think twice, oh, no, I, I hope this one doesn't crash. I hope this one doesn't crash. Uh, every 90 seconds, a plane flies over my house, according to the airport statistics and our counting in our backyard. Every 90 seconds, one flies over my house, and I don't think twice about them. Why? Because I just believe they're going to work. So I, who am I putting my faith in? I guess Boeing? The pilot? Delta? Am I right? I have Delta employees in here. I've got to you know, give them a shout out. But the reality is, it requires faith, and yet these are people who Paul is writing about. He just gets done killing Christians. He spends three years going, what have I done? And some people said, well, really, he just had a crisis of conscience. What creates a crisis of conscience within us? The Holy Spirit doing something in us. Without that, we have no sense of right or wrong. And so he has this moment, this epiphany moment on this road where he sees the light and it says, some people say, oh, well, that's just an allegorical word. Okay, then he went blind because of allegory. <laughs> then three days later, his eyes are healed. He spends years, the next few years learning and then he goes, hey, you guys, this is real and here's why I know it's real. And he's writing it because he says, the first, genera- the first group that was there, they're dying off and they're not going to know the truth. As we covered a few of these prophecies over the last few weeks, you can give a listen to the series if you want to hear other prophecies that were talked about. But as we covered these prophecies over the last few weeks, what I said you have to come to again and again and again is, I'm not saying it can't be circumstance, but how does circumstance after circumstance after circumstance after circumstance still keep coming true? When do we stop going, well, that's just a funny coincidence when it's three, when it's seven, when it's over 30 times, it goes from being just a unique coincidence to there's something real about it. But too many times, it's hard because that means I have to take this leap of faith. And I've had people say, well, I don't believe that Jesus even existed. Well, I don't know that Washington existed. I wasn't here when he did. But according to historical record, he did. I have historical record outside of the scripture that Jesus existed. Culturally, we know it. From the actual writings of the day, we know it. So even if you don't believe in who he was, how do you not believe he existed? I don't even know how to have that discussion with somebody. I mean, it's one thing, again, to say, I just don't understand or believe that Jesus could do all these miracles. Well, then let's look at the accounts of them. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, then let's look at what people experience today. I don't believe people. (laughs) Then I don't know what to tell you. Why the resurrection matters is because the empty tomb becomes irrelevant if we don't know why that sacrifice was made. The why is what makes it essential. Because if this is supposed to represent our little tomb, good job, people that built it. But why does it matter? Romans 5, 10 and 11 tells us this. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. In other words, whether you realize it or not, if you are not a follower of God, you are an enemy of God. But here's what's funny. Over and over, God tells us, love your enemies. 
He has a lot of experience because a lot of people hate him. My mom died of cancer when I was 12. How can I ever love God? I don't know. I didn't experience that. I, this happened to me when I was in elementary school. I was abused. I was molested. I was, you know, whatever. All these terrible things happen. All I can say is God did not do those to you. The world and the brokenness of our society did those to you. And God looks out and his heart cries out to you and says, I still want relationship with you and I'm sorry that you felt pain. I'm sorry that you were abused. I'm sorry you were neglected. And God looks and says, I love you so deeply that I will sacrifice my own son to have relationship with you. But I can't. He doesn't stop people from having free will. He created humanity with free will so that we would willfully choose to follow him. It tells us in John 3, 16, so God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't do it so that you'd be condemned. He didn't do it so that you'd feel judgment. He did it so that you could have hope and have life. The sacrifice was made so that you could have freedom, so that you could be reconciled, so that you could know God, so you could have an experience of a meaningful life. And too often times, we look at it as a way to get out of going to hell, so I'll do just the minimum. And he's looking and saying, I want so much more for you in this lifetime than that. But we cling to the, well, I know God, so I don't have to go to hell. And he's looking and saying, I want you to have fullness of life here. It doesn't mean you'll never experience pain. It doesn't mean you'll never experience death. It doesn't mean you'll never experience Abuse. It doesn't mean you'll never experience neglect. What it means is that we have a hope in spite of those things. And that he offers us freedom from the addiction. He offers us freedom from the things that hold us back. He offers us freedom from those things that cage us. And he looks and he uses the word remission because your debt is paid and you are free to walk in that. But we have to choose to go free. So here's the questions that I asked as I was preparing this. What does resurrection mean to me? How does this change how I approach my life tomorrow? When I walk out of here today, it was great. There were candles. There were some pretty flowers. The music was great. Some guy talked at me for a while. But when I walk out tomorrow, what does that mean to me? And finally, is that resurrection truth evident in my life? Do I offer forgiveness to others, knowing they're going to fail me again? Not believing they're never going to do something bad to me again, then it's easy. But knowing they're going to fail me again. Do others experience freedom because of how I live? Or do they walk in judgment because of my condemnation? Because if they don't experience freedom when they encounter me, why would they ever want to know the Jesus that I claim to know? But if they can say, wow, I find hope in that, in the way you live. I don't understand it. I don't relate to it. But if I can find hope in that, then maybe there is hope for me. And finally, if we really believe that in Christ there is no condemnation, do I offer people something more than what the world is offering? Do I look different? Do I act different? Have I been changed by what I've experienced? Because we've experienced bad things. And you may again. But even in that experience, 
Christ looks and says, there's no condemnation. In that moment where you're broken, in that moment where you're in the midst of the sin, and you hate yourself and you don't want to get up, and you, you, just, want to, you just wish you were dead, and he looks and he goes, there's no condemnation from me, and I offer you hope. My wife and I, she's sharing a story with me this week on, she keeps this little jelly bean jar at her desk of jelly bellies, not just for Easter. There you go. There's your plug. And um, she keeps them, and she has this little scoop that you scoop them into your hands, and, and her different employees come by, and they like their different flavors. You know, some people go for the pineapple, some the black licorice, some the buttered popcorn, because they're insane. Um, <clears throat> But she puts them there and she has one employee who will grab a scoop and put those, like one or two scoops and pop them all in their mouth at once. And she said something. Tracy said, what are you doing? And she said, well, it's, a, it's like a flavor surprise in your mouth. And she goes, Tracy, I feel like you're judging me. And she goes, I am a little. <laughs> Here's the beauty. Jesus looks and says, take something. Take a few jelly beans, take them all. I don't care. I'm here for you. Jesus looks and says, I'm not here to judge you no matter what crazy decisions you make in your life. I'm here to offer you hope and freedom and forgiveness. So what you've done in your past doesn't dictate who you get to be. The mistakes you made don't define you. Now that's not to say there's never consequences or there's not things we have to pay, because there are. But that doesn't define me anymore. My divorce doesn't define me. My addiction doesn't define me. My conviction doesn't define me. What defines me is who I am in Christ if I choose to accept the freedom that he offers. Let's walk in that. Let's be a people who represent that. And let's show the world they know the story, but they haven't experienced Jesus. Let's let them experience Jesus through us. God, thank you for this day and thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that you offer us a hope that we can't have outside of you. God, if there's anybody in here today that says, I need that, I need that in my life, I pray that they would have the courage to talk to somebody about that, to talk to me, to talk to somebody that they came with today. That they would have the courage to say, I can't do this, and I'm broken and I'm lost, but I need that hope that he talked about. God, for those of us who have heard this message 50 or 100 times in our life, but maybe there's something stirring within us that we need to change. Maybe we've heard it, but we still are walking in condemnation. Maybe we've heard it, but we still just struggle with that doubt. God, give us that hope. Give us that clarity. God, for those that are in here that have walked away from the truth because it's hard because we think we're educated now, because we think we're beyond this now. Let us see our weakness and our need for you. Let that be the truth that reigns in us. And I thank you, God, for every person here. God, for those who are in need of comfort, bring them comfort and peace. God, for those who are in need of a job, provide employment for them. God, for those who have a financial need, I pray that you just pour out upon them blessings of heaven. God, for those who need health, I pray that they would be healed today. God, for those who are afraid or feeling hopeless or struggling with depression, I pray, God, that you would meet them right where they are. 
Be a comfort to them. Let them know that you are with them. And I thank you and praise you for all you do in our lives every day in your name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Again, if you could fill this out in the next couple of weeks, you know, just one per family. It's not a requirement if you don't want to. If you've been coming here for years, don't check the I'm new box. Just leave that one blank. But if you uh, could fill that out, I just want to send you a letter. You're not signing up for anything. You're not committed to anything. It's just a chance for me to send you a letter and say, I'm glad you're here. So thanks. Have a great week. Grab some food on the way out. There's